Hello and welcome to the Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. This is our podcast about sailing and cruising the East Coast of the United States. In some episodes, we focus on passages and destinations. In other episodes, we talk about boats, equipment, and techniques. And every once in a while, when we come across an interesting person, we try to get them to be a guest on the show. But what makes this podcast a little bit unusual is that only one of us sails. And that would be me, Bela. I've been sailing for over 30 years, not across oceans, but on lakes and coastal cruising on the East Coast of the United States. And I, Mike, know very little about sailing. I'm probably best known for the, I'm the one that sinks unsinkable dinghies. Uh, so generally people keep me far away from their boats, but I'm curious. Um, and how this works is I'll ask most of the questions and Bela will try to answer as best he can. Yeah. Hey, Mike, before we dive into this week's episode where we have a guest, a repeat guest, uh, I'd like to thank our listeners and I'd like to thank our supporters. Uh, we now have a Patreon page, so supporting the podcast is super easy. Uh, just go to patreon.com forward slash sailing the east. Uh, and our podcast is now also available on YouTube, uh, as well as your favorite podcasting applications. So for you, for those of you who are YouTube fans, just search for Sailing the East and you'll find it. And in our most more recent episodes, you'll actually get to see Mike's and mine smiling faces uh, on the episode. Uh, on the older ones, it's just audio on YouTube. So thanks again to all of our listeners and a special thanks for those of you who support the podcast. Agreed, Bela. Thanks. And let's switch the focus to today's guest. And Bela, we're welcoming back a familiar face to our regular listeners. If my memory is correct, uh, Mike was a guest back in episode 66, I think, and he was about to embark on a big adventure, wasn't he? Yes, that's right. So back in episode 66, uh, uh, Mike was dreaming about and in the planning stages of taking a trip from Lake Champlain uh, to the Bahamas. And uh, Lake Champlain is uh, on the border between upstate New York and Vermont. So it's a landlocked lake and you have to take a canal uh, to get down to the ocean. So in this episode, uh, he starts his trip um, and from by casting off the lines up in Burlington, Vermont, and he heads south via the Champlain Canal to the Hudson River. Um, and this is a two part interview or conversation Mike and I had. Uh, so in this episode, we sort of discuss some of the challenges of traveling from an inland lake to the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, for example, uh, you have to take down the mast if you have a sailboat because there's a whole bunch of low bridges on these canals. And then you got to put it back up. Uh, and also he's got some great comments about uh, transiting the busy harbor of New York City, uh, which is uh, quite a busy place. Uh, and then they also talk about uh, his first overnight passage. So it was really a, a good conversation. And like I said, it was a bit long, so we broke it into two episodes. Uh, there's this one, and then part two will be coming out uh, in a week or so. Yeah, Balin, I'm glad you remembered her. At the end of the podcast, the last one he did, you were going to say, oh, we'll check in with you, right, in a, in a couple of months. And I'm glad you remembered to do that because this was fascinating to get an update uh, on his story. So let's dive right in. Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all? To feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation. Because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hey, Mike, how are you? Hi, Bela. How are you tonight? I am wonderful. Hey, it doesn't look like you're on the boat. No, we're uh, we're not on the boat right now. So uh, we, we are landlubbers, as you would uh, call it in boat language. <laughs> yeah, well, there's there's a time for that, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it actually worked out well. It's a, a nice break uh, we have for a couple of weeks. So, uh, um, so we have some family stuff that we needed to take care of. And, uh, we're actually in the process now of moving back down South to, uh, go to the boat. 
Yeah. So for the benefit of our of our listeners, uh, let's just do a little quick recap. Uh, you were on the on the podcast in episode sixty six, uh, and we recorded that uh, before you started your trip, and your trip being from Lake Champlain, which is uh, a large lake that borders New York State and Vermont, and uh, you came down the Champlain Canal to the Hudson River, and down the Hudson River. Uh, down along the East Coast, and uh, you're planning to go to the Bahamas, if I remember correctly. Correct. That yeah. Is, that, is, that has become our goal, yes. as I call it. Very good. We're not there yet. <laughs> and and this is your first big trip like this. So you've done a yes. lot of sailing on Lake Champlain, and if I remember correctly, you have a Hunter forty two Dexalon. Forty four. Forty four Dexalon. Thank Correct. you. Uh, and. Uh, so you're, uh, this is your first sort of big trip on that boat. It is. It is, yeah. our, it is our first, and it is a big trip. It's a huge trip. Are you kidding? <laughs> <It's>, yes. <laughs> yeah. Both uh, from, from all sorts of facets, right? Not, not just the distance, <laughs> but all sorts yes. of things. So, uh, Mike, talk to us a little bit about sort of how you were feeling like when you cast off the dock lines and you were leaving your slip up in, up in uh, Lake Champlain and saying, okay, we're headed South. Well, let me start with this first, which is there's been tremendous excitement and exhilaration that also goes along with what I'll call the trepidation and struggles of a trip like this. And there are some high highs and some low yeah. lows but it's yeah. been an adventure to say the least. And uh, it, we love what we're doing right now, but it certainly is not what you call sitting on the back porch in retirement in a rocking chair. So uh, uh, it, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, when we left, uh, it turned out even leaving was uh, challenging because uh, we left the third week of September from Burlington, uh, where we're in a marina. And the three days prior, we had hellacious winds up to 40, 50 miles an hour. Yeah. And it was constant. And because Burlington is not a protected marina, mm. the boats were rocking and you're trying to get ready. And as a matter of fact, it was so bad the day before we were going to leave boats were breaking loose. Oh my God. In their slips where they were, you know, lines got chafed and snapped or they yanked the cleat yeah. off the dock. It was, yeah. it was that, it was that, uh, windy. Wow. And, and we were just there waiting to leave at this point and we were waiting for it to calm down. And then finally, we made a decision that it was going to be better the following day. And we got up and the winds had died a bit and it wasn't bad in the Marina, but it was still 15 knots. Yeah. And, you know, we just said it was a North wind. We're going South. And if we don't go now, the weather for the next three or four days was not going to be great either. And we said, listen, once we get out and we're going South, we'll have the wind at our back. And we said, we're leaving. Fortunately, in our marina, there was a charter company and they had four sailboats, big ones, that were all getting ready to leave to go down to the Caribbean where they charter for the winter. Yes. So fortunately, the guy in charge, the captain who had 20 years experience, was extremely kind helping us get ready because at this point now, the mass is down on the boat. Uh, you can't walk around the boat very well because things are all over the place. The shrouds are all over the place. You got straps, you know, holding everything in place. And we literally had to do a 180 in 15 plus knot, plus knot winds to get out of the marina. And he was very helpful in showing us how to make a quick turn off the dock. Yeah. And my wife was nervous, but we turned the boat around. And once we were headed south out of the marina, we were fine. 
But once we got out of the marina, we had to make a right turn into the wind. And as you probably know, and a lot of people think, well, you're on a lake. How bad can it be? <laughs> right. Well, my wife was too nervous to even video at that point to show people how bad it can be. But we had five to six foot waves on the bow coming at three different directions for the first hour. Oh, my gosh. And, and the anxiousness is, OK, we can manage that. I've done that. But not with the mast laying down on the boat and the uh, person that the marina that did this and took the mast down for us. He said, the one thing be careful of, don't get rocking too much in waves that the mass starts vibrating. Bouncing. Yeah. And so here I am in <laughs> 15 minutes into our thing, and I'm worrying about losing my mass. Anyway, we, the first hour was tough. We turned south, and as soon as we turned south, we had it at our back, and away we went. And yeah. within two hours as we moved south on the lake, it calmed down. Yeah. And we were off. So, so 10 minutes into our trip, we were already being challenged. Wow. And just so our listeners understand uh, why you had to take the mask down is because you have to go through the Champlain Canal and Correct. there's low bridges, which are not draw bridges. <laughs> so no. I think, I think the clearance is like 20 some feet. I think if I remember it's, correctly, it, it depends, but we were told by speaking with people that the lowest we were going to encounter was 17 and a half feet. Yeah. So clearly you have to take a mask down. Oh yeah. Yep. There's, there's no ifs, ands or buts for a sale. Yeah. 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 So just so people understand. So you leave Burlington and if I remember correctly from sailing up on Lake Champlain, Burlington's about uh, sort of the, the Northern two thirds of the lake. So you have a fair amount yeah. of distance to go on the lake, right? You probably have, Correct. but it starts getting narrow as you get further and further South. Right. It was two days to the locks. Yeah. Basically. To the first lock, which is at Whitehall. Whitehall. Yep. Which, what is the historical uh, significance of Whitehall? You tell me. The birthplace of the U.S. Navy. Yes. I remember seeing those signs there. There's a little, little, placard or not uh, yep. not a small placard but a pretty good size they put up a big one yeah yeah and most people you know it was like whitehall it's landlocked but yes it was on lake champlain yes so yeah now that you mentioned that i i do remember seeing that it's right next to the locks i think if i remember correctly correct yes yeah yeah, yeah. they have signs going in and out of town when you drive there too about that yeah. So how was your first sort of, okay, we're going through a lock experience? Well, we actually, first we spoke with people yeah. that talked to us about it. And there was a couple that did a video of going through the locks that they went from Lake Champlain and actually had a video showing exactly what they entailed going through. So I would say we were very well prepared and knew what to expect. And as a matter of fact, even on, we were told and planned to go in on our port side, you know, against the side of the lock. And where it was also recommended that in top of the fenders, we had a two by six that was 12 or 14 feet long that you put outside the fenders. So you don't scrape your fenders. Up. Yeah. Cause it's con and, the walls are concrete, rough coarse concrete. Yes. And the good thing was for 11 of the 12 locks, we were the only boat in the lock. So it also made it a lot more comfortable that you weren't surrounded by other boats pulling sure. in. The guys in the locks were great. They're really nice guys. And, you know, we pulled in and I would say, you know, you're anxious when you're going in the first lock because you're not really sure. By lock three, we were bored and we had had enough of locks. <laughs> uh, they yeah. are they are not what you would call anything exciting. They're rather dull and dirty, is, is the way I'll put it, because the lines that you grab onto and use are full of whatever, you know, yes. the algae and everything else. Sure. And we were prepared because both my wife and I had big rubber gloves yeah. that we, yeah. we were wearing so that your hands didn't get 
all scummy. Yep. And it's just the two of you at this point, correct? Yes, it is only the two of us. Yeah. Yeah. Not at that so, point, the whole point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, and between the locks, you're basically in a canal. So you're motoring down this canal. Correct. And at this point, we had very good weather. There's no wind. So there's no current. There's no sure. tide, no nothing. And it's just a nice ride down the middle of a canal. And it was fun. Yeah. And then uh, you go through some more locks uh, on, on your way down to the Hudson River, and you, you pop out into the Hudson River at Troy, New York, if I remember correctly. Correct. And, and one of the nice things was that a couple of the towns along the locks have free walls to dock on. And as a matter of fact, in Whitehall, because we actually got there first and we went through the first lock, and they have a free wall, free power, free water. And naturally, I said, what a great marketing thing, because what did we do? We went into town and got something sure. to eat. Yeah, yeah. So th there were several of those along the way, because for at least for the sailboat, you can't go through the entire locks in one day. It's just too, it's too long of a day. And each lock takes you can be up to a half an hour getting through a lock. Now we were the only boat, so we moved quickly. So it took us two days. We took two days to get through the locks and out. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. And and now you're in the Hudson River at Troy. Yes. And, and now you have uh, a little bit of current, some tide, and some big ships to start uh, worrying about. Um, I'll say yes and no. Because we were so far up the Hudson, the good thing was there weren't any big ships that far mm. up. And to be honest, the current wasn't that bad that it created any issues or anything. Our big yeah. thing was now we've got to put the mass back up. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Correct. And there's a there's a sort of a, a place where all the sailors go, if I remember yes. correctly, right? There's, yes, there's there, the, the place to do that for the southbound folks and for the northbounders who need to take it down. Correct. And there's two or three different marinas that do that. And I should have written that name down because the guy that owns the marina, that's what we considered the best. They were the nicest people you'd ever want to meet. This guy that owned it, these people were so nice. Anything you needed, any help. And we pulled in there. Um, early, we, we actually weren't sure they're packed. So when you're going to get your mast either uh, put up or taken down, you better have a reservation. Mm. And especially at this place, because starting first thing in the morning, that's all these guys do. Bing, bing, bing. They put up the mast, get out of the way and either move over there. But we got two more boats right behind you. Right. Right. So they have a process, and it's interesting because um, I made sure that I learned. I'm not a rigger, and you know, a rigger is a guy that knows everything about tensioning the mast, how it goes up, the whole bit. I took videos and pictures of everything when the mast came down because I've only had it done once before then. Right. So right. it's a new experience, and when they put the mass back up, they don't do all the rigging and stuff. They get the crane, they put it up, they attach everything. And the thing is get out of the way because you need to know how to do that. So you have to do all the tensioning and all that stuff. Correct. And running now, all the lines, et cetera. Running all the lines back and then reconnecting all the electrical. Yeah. Now here's, here's one of the things I put under my list of the best things that we had are the people you meet along the way. So the charter company I told you was in our marina. They're now coming down behind us. They left a day later because they were still getting ready. They pulled in to the same marina and they now had four boats yes. that had to be done. And they wanted them done that day because they have a schedule. So, the guy that was in charge is a rigger. He came on our boat, 
was super nice and he helped us. Oh, wow. Tension everything and had all the tools, uh, the whole bit. And just the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet and uh, uh, helped us through all of this. And so we basically got our mask done and we left and they were staying that night because they said they're going to work overnight to get the mask. So we're still ahead of them going down. Yeah. I, I guess the moral of this thing is that they left a day behind us. They had to be in the Caribbean. The, the punchline of this is we're still north of New York City and they're in the Caribbean already. <laughs> wow. So, so uh, I, it was kind of funny because when we went down the Hudson, the hurricane, Ian, was hitting. Yes. And it churned right off the Jersey coast. That's right. It just sat days. there. Yeah, it just sat there. I was thinking and of you guys. I can say we weren't going out there. Uh, nobody was. But here came the caravan of the charter guys. And I said to him, we were communicating now online. I said, Mike, what are you going to do? He says, what do you mean? I said, where are you going to dock or, you know, we'll meet you. He says, oh, no, we're going. I, I said, you're, you're going where? And he says, oh, no, we got a schedule. We're out of here. Yeah. And he later said to me, they were in 20-foot waves, 40-foot knot winds, and they broke the rigging on one of the boats, jury rigged it, and they were in and." Five days later, I'm getting pictures from the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. But, but that's a professional operation. And yeah, and that's not for me. I'm I'm a no. strictly strictly an amateur. <laughs> well, and we're still in New York City. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, the so how was how was going down the Hudson? What were the sort of the highlights of that? The Hudson was it's 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 a gorgeous trip. Now we. We had good weather. We had wind at our back. And it was cool. You know, the weather was already starting to get a little cool. But we had a great time going down the Hudson. Uh, we didn't have any issues. I'll, I'll say one of the things, it's sort of on my list of things to talk about, is getting to see things from a new perspective that you've seen a million times, but from a road. Yes. So one of the first things, um, we went by West Point, the military yes. academy. Yeah. And yeah. growing up and as an athlete, I had been there, competed there a lot, but on the land side. And we got to see it from the ocean side. And you come around this turn, and all of a sudden, there's West Point. And all of a sudden, a small powerboat pulls right up to us and says, can you move over? Okay, we're going to move over, and we look, and there are the cadets swimming across the Hudson. And they've got three or four boats, and these guys are, I don't want to say learning how to swim. They're <laughs> swimming. So when you talk about tides and currents and worrying right. about the boat, here right. come 50 or 60 cadets with buoys tied to them so you could see them swimming across the river. I mean, where are you going to see that from the road? Right. <laughs> Right. So that was definitely uh, an interesting uh, uh, sight that was un unexpected. But it's just gorgeous coming down. Now, I worked for years in Manhattan, so I'm very familiar with the whole thing, the ferries. But my wife was not. And it was exciting for her to go past the Statue of Liberty and being able to see the Statue of Liberty. We went under the George Washington Bridge. Sure. And, yeah, yeah. And and I, I'll say this: the George Washington Bridge was the first fixed bridge we were going under. It's 180 feet high, but it still looked like we were going to hit. <laughs> yeah. And anybody with a sailboat can relate. That That's it right. Always looks like your mast is going to hit. It really does. You know, it's, it's interesting what you said about the different uh, perspectives of how you how you see something. So I can clearly remember, I, 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 you know, as a kid, I'd been to New York City and as a teenager, et cetera, you know, by car or by bus. And I sort of had that perspective. And then when I, I got out of school and I started working, 
I used to travel a fair amount and I would, I would see, and I'd fly out of New York city and I would see New York city from the air, which was a totally different perspective. Right. And then I, I clearly remember there was this period of time in the, in the 70, late seventies, I think, where if, if you landed at one of the New York city airports, either Newark, JFK or LaGuardia, but your flight left from another one, they had a free helicopter shuttle that would take uh, you from uh, airport to airport. Yeah. And I remember once I, I, I was, I was leaving New York and on purpose, I flew from like Albany to LaGuardia and my, I had my departure from, from Newark. I, I, I made it that way on purpose so I could take the helicopter. Mm. And then I saw New York city from a thousand feet flying, you know, in it from a mm -hmm. helicopter flying over and which was like spectacular. And then a number of years ago, uh, I finally got to see New York city from the water when I helped a friend of mine bring a boat up from Florida and, and we uh, came up through New York city into long Island sound. And, and that was yet another totally different view of the same piece of right. land. <laughs> you know, it is remarkable how that changes. Yeah. It, 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 now the good part in all of this going down the Hudson through Manhattan, as I said, I commuted for years into Manhattan and a lot on ferries. So I knew the lay of the land because we were docking in the marina in Jersey City. Mm -hmm. And I knew exactly where it was because that's where I used to take a ferry from. Now, the good thing was my wife was enthralled with seeing the city and everything from the Hudson. What she didn't see, which I didn't show her, was my chart plotter in front of me that showed 50 other boats with 20 ferries cutting in front of you in every direction so that the AIS system looked like a spider web yeah. of lines of boats going everywhere. And those and, ferries go fast. And they go But I will say this, because and I had, have ridden them, they know what you are. It's a, it's a recreational boat. It's big. And, and they do give you, sure. they don't, they don't force you to move. They go around you. They're sure. in a hurry. They don't want to wait. They don't want to deal with incidents. So they're good. And yeah. so it, it didn't bother me because I had been on the ferries, but for a person that wasn't used to that, to look at their AIS, to figure out, well, who's going to possibly, you know, AIS shows you where collisions are. Well, when you see possible eight collisions in front of you, it can be a little nerve wracking. Right, right, um, exactly. And, and it was also interesting too, because right there in Manhattan, a super yacht was parked right in the middle of the Hudson, anchored. And it was just kind of bizarre that through all of this, there's this 200 foot super yacht sitting there. But I guess he just, I don't know. They just, that's where they were. Um, so that was great. The first, what I'll call anxiousness, was we had a reservation in this Jersey City marina. Yeah. And I knew where it was. I knew how to get in there. And then, as you know, you call into the marina. You let them know we're here. We now need directions as to where we're supposed to go. And my wife and I both got headsets to communicate with each other so we can hear what's going on. So even though I'm communicating, she's at the bow because she's getting the fenders and stuff ready. She can still hear what's going on with the marina. And the first thing she hears is you need to turn left before the first super yacht. And, and when you turn, go around the, next super yacht <laughs> and then you're going to bear right well e anyway it was like getting directions in a uh, uh a development turn left here turn right and turn left well when we get in there uh, okay we're 45 feet but we're not 145 right. feet right and we're like looking at these things having to navigate down one of these uh, fingers or fairways and there's multi-million boats on either side of you and you know and it's tight and the last thing you want to do is bump into one of those right. and uh, that was a little nerve-wracking that what i'll call first big docking 
with boats much bigger than you are because this is one of the marinas they go to. Yeah, and just be thankful it, the wind wasn't blowing really hard. Oh, and it's a well-protected, the winds were blowing on the Hudson, but once we got into the channel where they where it was, it was yeah. calm. And well, that's good. Yeah, so, uh, and they were great too. They had guys all over directing us because it was hard to see you know, in a normal marina, you can kind of see around the boats, but when the boats are three stories, five stories high, it's hard to see around. Right. You can't see. Right. No, exactly. But uh, yeah, I have found, I have found marinas. Uh, and there's been a couple of times this past summer where, where I was practicing doing things solo and, you know, going into a new marina and I would tell them, Hey guys, I'm coming in solo. So can you just have a couple of extra hands and they're more than help. I mean, they don't want you to hit anything. <laughs> no. So, so if you let them know your situation, they're very, very helpful. Now, I don't want to contradict what you're saying because we can get into a whole thing of marinas, which, yes. which I've received in education because we have called and said, we're unfamiliar. Can you have somebody help us? And they come back and say, no, we're too busy. Yes. There's a wide... <laughs> There's a wide range of uh, service levels <laughs> at, exactly. at marinas. <laughs> and the first time we got that, my wife comes back to me and said, what did they say? Because yeah. she's in the front of the boat having to do the lines. And it's like she had never heard that before. And I said, they said they're too busy. She goes, yeah. but we're coming in. Aren't we paying for this? Uh, so we've, we've learned, um, and this is tongue in cheek. We've learned this Marina's lie. And when I say that is you go on their websites and you see all the superlatives of what they offer and what they do and what they have. And then when you get there, the restaurants closed, they can't help you dock. Uh, the bathrooms aren't working. Uh, and one thing I learned from you, the pump out isn't yes. working either. So yeah. we never let our boat get more than half full. Right. Because as a matter of fact, uh, two of the really nice, expensive marinas, their pump outs broken. Yeah. Yeah. If, and you, if, you, if you have an opportunity to fuel an opportunity to get water and an opportunity to pump out, I always take advantage of it. I don't. I don't care if if my fuel tank is three quarters full, <laughs> or or my pump or my holding tank is only a quarter full. I, I'm going to pump it out because you never know. You don't know, and and I remember you saying that on one of your podcasts, where your marina or where where you were, that it was broken. Yeah, and there was nowhere to go. You had to go wherever. And I always, I said, I always said to my wife, I, I learned that from Bela. If it's available, we're we're going to take advantage of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'm I'm glad I'm glad. There's one thing, <laughs> there's one thing you picked up from from all of my podcasts. I, that's well, I I, I will say we picked up more than that, but that was certainly an important yeah. one. Yeah. Is is to always uh, uh, pump out and fill up when you have uh, have the chance. Yeah, so. that's for sure. So uh, where to after Jersey City? So we had to stay there for three or four days while it was churning out there because in order to get to our next stop, which is down to the Delaware, uh, you, our boat in Jersey, the ICW, doesn't really exist. It's too right. shallow. Right. It, you just can't take a large sailboat with a, uh, you know, we have a five foot draft. Well, you, you know, you have a hunter too. Yep. Have the same um, boat. Yeah. So you have to sail out in the ocean. So we went from New York city to Atlantic highlands, which is Sandy hook. Yep. And so we, when the weather looked like it was improving, uh, we moved there. I, I want to add this is, I think I mentioned one of the things that was, that we've enjoyed and has been one of the highlights. We've met the best people along the way in other boats. And we met a Canadian couple when we were all the way up the Hudson 
at one of the marinas that was supposed to be uh, the Ritz-Carlton of marinas that we soon learned that they didn't have most of what they said they would. Yeah. And they were next to us in a slip and they were coming from Canada and heading down. So we were there for two days because of the weather. We were holding up there a little bit and we got to talking to them. Very nice. And it just, our, our cycles of where we were going matched and they were very experienced sailors. Uh, They were both, they were retired as well. And they had a 45 foot boat, uh, Benetau. And so it was sort of like we were meeting them as we were hopping down. And then we ended up in the same marina in New York City. So in talking to them, I was picking his brain because they had done this before. Sure. So we ended up going to Sandy Hook with them and anchoring there. And he had actually, and I'm going to forget the guy's name. You might remember, there's a guy that does weather charting and plotting for people mm-hmm. that you can hire him to do that. Yep, there's 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 a handful of people who do that. Yes. And there's one guy that everybody knows. And again, I'm going to forget his name right now. But they had had him do their weather thing because we were anxious. This was our first time out in the ocean. Sure. And it was going to be an overnight because we had talked to them about it. Do we go during the day, try to get to Atlantic City in daylight, or do we leave a little bit later, go overnight? That means we'll definitely get in during the day down to Cape May. And they were just a big help, and we buddy-boated with them off the coast, which was very comforting to my wife, because not only was it the first time in the ocean, it was overnight. And and you guys did this, just the two of you, this was your first first ocean experience and first overnight experience. Yes, on our own boat with us. Yeah. I have been out in the ocean a bunch when I was younger, but not in my own boat and certainly not overnight. Yeah. Yeah. So how'd that go? It, it actually, what was really good was it was a full moon mm. and it was crystal clear. So it actually made that anxiousness go down uh, quite a bit because, you know, we could see everything around us and the seas were fairly comfortable. Mm, Very nice. They were rolling in three foot, but it it wasn't anything and that uh, would bother us. And we also ended up having uh, a great wind in terms we were able to sail almost the entire way. Oh, wonderful. You know, so uh, we had a beam reach and, 10, 15 knots. And it was, it was great. And we actually, in talking to the other couple, they convinced us that because we're going overnight and we're going to get in, in the morning down South, let's not go to Cape May, but shoot across the Delaware over to lose Delaware and anchor there because then you go straight up the Delaware Bay, as opposed to in Cape May, you got to kind of do this gyration around the tip of New yes. Jersey. Right. And right. they convinced us to do that. Now, wow. here comes the other side. It was wonderful. We were moving so quick. We got to Cape May and it was still pitch black. Uh-huh. So we didn't want to get in across the Delaware in pitch black because neither of us were familiar. So we kind of went at two, three knots and we were just slowly waiting for and we were fine. It was great. We were having a great time. Sun comes up and we head across maybe a half an hour. It all went south. And the winds came out of the Delaware like there was no tomorrow. And now we're in five and six foot waves mm-hmm. on the bow, just beating us up. Yeah. So an hour and a half of just getting beat up after we had just sailed 22 hours. <laughs> yes. So it's one thing to deal with that the first thing of the day. It's another thing after 22 right. hours. And we've right. been doing so well. So we had our first experience of no matter what you think you know or how well you prepare, 
be prepared for the unexpected. Yeah. And, yeah. and they were experienced and they said it was tough. Yeah. So we got into the bay and once we got into the bay, then it was completely calm. But for an hour and a half, it was just the pounding yeah. uh, on the front of the boat. So, yeah. I think the I think the weather router person, uh, possibly the one you were thinking of, is Chris Parker. Yes, it is. Thank yeah. you. There you yeah. go, Chris a lot Parker. Of, a lot of sailors use him, and and uh, when I came down from Nova Scotia to Baltimore, uh, that's who we used as a as a weather router as right. well. Yeah, very 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 professional operation, uh, reasonable cost, and and uh, was very very helpful. So tongue in cheek, I had to ask them if we get a bit of a refund on that last part <laughs> because it wasn't supposed to be like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, so even the best, you, you know, you have to be ready for that. Well, you know, sometimes there's these local phenomenons that are, are like, like on Narragansett Bay, you look at windy or a- any of those wind forecasting applications, mm-hmm. they, they all miss this. But typically on Narragansett Bay, which where my, where my boat is, if it's a sunny day, particularly if it's a sunny day, in the afternoon, there's almost always a pretty stiff south breeze from the south blowing at 20 knots. Mm-hmm. And, and you look at windy or any, you know, predict wind, it doesn't show up. It just shows it's fine. So there are these local weather phenomena that uh, lots of times those models don't, don't capture very well. Well, we had been warned about the Delaware and the entrance yeah. to the Delaware, but we had had such a great sail, and, and there was no indication that that was going to kick up. Yeah. Now, on the positive side, we anchored in the bay. The next day, we had perfect weather going up the Delaware. As a matter of fact, people even acknowledged other people in boats and stuff and said, we've never seen the Delaware this calm. Yeah. So we actually were lucky that we were with the current and we had uh, the wind at our backs so that the question was, could you sail up Delaware Bay in one day? Well, we not only sailed all the way up to the top of Delaware Bay, we got through the C&D Canal. Wow. The same day. And we were actually thinking uh, with this other couple of anchoring at the top of the Delaware Bay, because we felt that's where we could get to. And we ended up, as I said, going through the C&D Canal, and we actually anchored just at the uh, beginning of the Chesapeake Yeah, yeah. through the canal. Well, one of the challenging things about the Delaware is there's not a lot of places to hide. No. Un- un- unlike the Chesapeake Bay, where every two miles there's a little place you can pull into it seems like and hide you know mm-hmm. from a storm or anything but the delaware bay is like a bathtub there's just like no place to really pull into there's very few spots so once you kind of commit to going you, you pretty much have to go at least to the canal and then you can always stop and i think it's chesapeake city correct is about um at uh, basically the, the nicest and only significant place to stop on the canal yeah, there's there's a place across from Chesapeake City. Yes. That has a dock and a restaurant, but yes, it's either all the way up the Delaware or there are a couple of poss- possible places, but they're not great places to anchor. Right. So right. so that was our uh, gift after being beat up the day before by the the mouth of the Delaware. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. How did you guys do watches? On your overnight sail, was it three? What was your t- sort of time schedule for watches? Oh, it was very simple. Neither one of us slept. <laughs> <laughs> well, being—I mean, I can—I can hundred percent understand that being your first, you know, overnight, and it's just—and plus, it sounds like it was a beautiful sail. So you're—you're you're enjoying it, you know. You're. The nervous energy is not exhausting you, or the tension is not exhausting you. So uh, no. um, that's good. The good, yeah. The good thing, uh, me personally, I'm not a big sleeper. I don't need a lot of sleep, so I wasn't concerned. I knew I could easily stay up all night. My wife stayed up due to anxiousness. Yeah. That 
she wasn't going to be able to sleep at all. Yeah. And we yeah. were only talking one night. So it was just basically turned it to be such a good sale. It was actually great being up because the moon was out. We had great sure. seas. The wind was nice. And it was sure. just the excitement of all that was going on around you with yeah. all the boats lit up. Um, the, the, the one thing that it was funny, we were talking about this today was that, uh, my, my wife, the one anxious thing is that at night though, you still have the tugboats mm. and instead of pushing a barge, they're pulling them at night for whatever reason. And the tugboats to let you know, they're pulling, they have this bank of lights on the front that is like 30 feet high. Yes. And it's like daylight, but it's on the front of the tugboat. In the meantime, there's 900 feet of darkness behind them, pulling these barges behind yeah. them. So on AIS, you see the tugboat, but not the barge. And fortunately the moon was out, so you could sort of see the silhouette, but at times, it, it was a bit confusing, especially when we got near Atlantic City, because Atlantic City is like Vegas. It's all lit up. So you just have all these lights and now you can't discern the boats. And, and so yeah. we actually moved out further to get out of these lanes that these tugboats were in. Now, yeah. they could because we didn't know this at the time. But a couple of boats called the tugs that were near them and said, would you turn on the barge lights? And then all of a sudden the barge lights would come on and you could see this oh. massive thing behind it. Yeah. But then they turn them off again. So I, I don't know what the deal is with that. But uh, that was the one thing that, you know, sort of like this giant thing that you can't see, you know, moving up and down. But if you have AIS, though, that is... I can't imagine, and we met many people that don't have it, and it's just like, how do you not have AIS on your boat? And I don't know if you want to explain what that is, but to me, it's mandatory. Yeah, yeah, I did it. I, there's an episode, I don't remember which number it is, all about AIS, and I installed an AIS unit on my boat and stuff. And I, I mean, it's you can get them for five, 600 bucks now, or you can get them built into your VHF radio even, for several right. hundred dollars and i there's no way i would go out uh without without it i, I just it's just unbelievable it's basically a way you can if other boats that have ais um can transmit a signal and they can also receive a signal from other boats that have ais and what the information you receive is that other boat's location which then gets shown on your chart plotter so you can tell where other boats are Assuming they have AIS. Correct. Uh, so but yeah, the ones it, it that works do, great. Right. And the ones that do, you see the name of the boat. That's right. It shows you their direction, their speed, their location, and it has a line in front of their boat showing if it'll intersect with you. And if yeah. there is a chance, things start blinking just to alert you. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's it makes life so much easier out there. Yeah, it, it's a it's a great invention. I mean, whoever invented it, I hope they're rich. They deserve to be rich. <laughs> uh, and all commercial uh, vessels are supposed to have AIS. So, you know, that that part of it uh, is really nice. And you're right. It yeah. makes it so much easier to call somebody. Yes. Because, you know, their name, you can you can hail them by name. And uh, as opposed to, you know, uh, the boat that's 200 feet ahead of me heading south. <laughs> exactly. That, that's not very helpful. No. So no, that's great. Yeah. I agree with you 100 percent. I There's no way I would go out without AIS. Mm -hmm. Not a chance. Yeah. Wow. Bela, what an adventure. This was a great first half of the story. And I really enjoyed Mike's perspective, seeing this experience with fresh eyes. I loved his descriptions of both the high points and the low points of this first part of the trip. There really was a little bit of everything, wasn't there? Yeah, there really was. Uh, and I, and I got to tell you, as I was listening to Mike and having this conversation with him, I was a bit envious. You know, it's, it's one of those things. I've done this trip uh, a couple of times, uh, not from a lake, but basically going down the coast of New Jersey and 
up through the Delaware Bay and uh, uh, down through Chesapeake Bay. And uh, I was a bit envious. I, it was it brought back memories of of the great trips that I've had. Uh, and uh, although I've never been to the Bahamas, uh, that would be a great place uh, to to go as well. So maybe if I can talk you into uh, taking a couple of weeks off, Mike, and and taking all, everything that you've learned through this podcast and actually going sailing, that would be a trip we could do. Love the idea, and you would trust me not to sink the boat. Okay, we'll talk about this, Bela. I like it. Well. <laughs> What do you think? Time to wrap this up? Yeah, let's. Let, not much more to add to the great conversation that Mike and I had, so let's wrap this one up. Yeah, and stay tuned for part two next week, right? So, listeners, thanks for joining us for yet another episode, and we hope you found our conversation uh, both interesting and thought-provoking. And, of course, if you have questions about what we've discussed, uh, please get in touch with us. Our email is sailingtheeast, that's all one word, at gmail.com. Hey, and if you enjoyed the podcast, hit that follow button on your favorite podcasting app. And if you know of someone that would be a good guest on the show, uh, let us know. Uh, we'd love to have them on uh, as a guest. So I hope to see you out there. Uh, and make sure you listen to part two of this conversation with Mike Malkoff. So until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you all soon. Thanks, Bailed from over here in Münster, Germany. We'll see everybody next time.